please rate, review, and subscribe to Dare to Explore wherever you listen to podcasts. Dare to Explore is powered by the U.S. Space and Rocket Center Education Foundation, which supports the educational programs of the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, home of Space Camp, working to inspire the next generation of explorers. Learn more about the Foundation's mission at rocketcenterfoundation.org. On May 14, 1973, America's first space station and first crewed research laboratory in space blasted off on the last Saturn V rocket. This was Skylab. Following a near-catastrophic design issue requiring in-orbit repairs by astronauts shortly after launch, Skylab's crew conducted hundreds of experiments and captured nearly a quarter of a million images of the sun with the onboard solar observatory. But before any of these accomplishments could occur, scientists and engineers first had to create and build the equipment and materials to make it happen. Lowell Zoller served as chief of the project's office in the materials laboratory for the creation of the Saturn V rocket. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time. I'll let you know what I find. My name is Lowell Zoller. Raised in Fort Wayne, Indiana. My ambitions starting in high school were to go into nuclear research, so I went to Purdue University and majored in chemistry and physics, then to the University of Minnesota measuring in uh, nuclear physics. I had no intentions whatsoever to end up in the space field, <laughs> but uh, things happened that led me there. Uh, after getting my baccalaureate, baccalaureate degree, I had a very wonderful opportunity to go to work on a secret program for the Air Force and the Atomic Energy Commission, at that time known as the Aircraft Nuclear Propulsion Program. Because of the Cold War was heating up, they decided they wanted a bomber that could stay up indefinitely like a nuclear submarine, so we were building a nuclear-powered bomber. That program got canceled by the State Department early in 1961, and it's legitimate, uh, the concern of crashing someplace, the liabilities would have been astronomical. Sure. So here I was without a job, and that was right at the time when President Kennedy approved the lunar program. That was obviously the most challenging thing on the market, uh, and so I threw my hat in the ring, and I was blessed to get a job here at the Marshall Space Flight Center, uh, specifically in the materials laboratory. So what, can you tell me what that means when you say materials laboratory? All right. In the development of any major program like a launch vehicle, you have certain aspects. People are concentrating on the structural design. People who are concentrating on the electronics. All of these things are made out of materials. So the materials organization is responsible for finding and verifying materials that can be used for every one of these applications. Okay. So we haven't learned to build anything out of something other than materials, so that was a very broad sure. endeavor. So you're kind of the, the person who gathers the ingredients that, that have been asked for. The ingredients and then verifying that it's actually going to work in practice. It also is responsible for all the failure analyses that come 
home. So it's a challenging part of the program. Now, from my personal standpoint, it was simply a matter of being at the right place at the right time and recognizing that here was a job that demanded some ingenuity, some thought, and, and uh, a lot of learning, a lot of learning. <laughs> now, I will tell you, at the beginning of this program, the German team that was here under von Braun were the experts in the world as far as rocket engines were concerned, small rocket engines compared to what we needed. The young scientists and engineers like myself who came and coming into the program had basic training and experience in science engineering. I say that our knowledge of rockets was which end the smoke came out of. <laughs> and so it was a learning job, on, learning on the job and learning very, very fast. So in the role of working in the materials laboratory, my chemistry and physics background, of course, made the conversion into understanding the materials and how to weld them and put them together and uh, so on and so forth and inspect them uh, came rather uh, easy but it was a tremendous amount of work. And I say that from the standpoint that every one of us who came into the program experienced that in our particular fields. We were 20-year-old kids doing this. Wow. Very few of us had experience that we were building upon. Most of us were recent college graduates and so on. So this was a very unique opportunity to be in on the ground floor of something that nobody knew how to do. And I will tell you that there was far more that we did not know about going to the moon than what we did know. Wow. And every day you were confronted with issues that nobody had ever thought about. And when you solved that problem, it raised three more that you had never thought about. And that was our, our lifetime, day in and day out, just continually trying to deal with issues that knew had to be done, but no one had, nobody had ever done it for. The only rockets that we had in 1961 were about the size of the V-2 that stands over there in the corner of the Davidson building, a very small rocket. That technology was never going to get us to the moon. Yeah. So we had to start from first principles. Uh, and so we were back doing basic work, for, working from basic formulas and figuring out what we needed to do to get to the moon and how we were going to build it and how we were going to operate it and all the things that went into it. So it was a tremendous challenge. And it was complicated by the fact that every single decision that you made was a life or death decision. And that was not taken lightly. When you went home at night, you went home thinking about, did we think of everything? Were there other possibilities? Every decision was one that lived with you for a long time until you could actually prove it out in testing. And that was another very wonderful experience that we had having the Germans here. By nature, they are very conservative people. And their philosophy was test, 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 and retest. Now, that gave some of the managers hiccups <laughs> because of schedule and time. Sure. <clears throat> but it proved what you were doing was right. And so that was really, I think, one of the great successes of the Saturn program. The other thing is, as I said, that since... None of us really had the experience in building something that was going to go to the moon. Our success was based upon teamwork. I tell guests here when I talk to them, uh, and I hope that I'm not exaggerating, 
But I believe that that program, the Going to the Moon, was the greatest team effort in humanity. It was a very complicated program. At the height of the program, counting every person who's down to the lowest level of supplier, there were some 450,000 people engaged in the space program. Wow. And the management scheme that we came up with was as much a success as putting people on the moon because the Saturn V launch vehicle was just one piece of the puzzle. We had to develop not only the launch vehicle, but the spacecraft, and we had to develop all the test facilities, all the transportation facilities to move these parts from place to place, all of the instrumentation, all the controls, and you were starting from zero and putting together an entire infrastructure. Wow. And this was, as I say, I, I think it was probably one of the greatest team efforts in humanity, and it comes down to that. We had a problem. You got on the telephone, you got everybody that you could think of sitting in the conference room, and we first of all defined what the problem was. Then we started coming up with plan A and plan B and plan C, because you never knew if plan A was going to work. Right. And then you got to that point, and you told the management, okay, here was the problem, here's what we come up with, we need to try this, uh, and here's what's going to happen if we don't do it. So it was really built from the bottom up. And that was important. And I think that people really need to understand the commitment that was made not only by the workers here on the program. This was a family commitment. 80-hour weeks were not at all uncommon. Sometimes we didn't go home for two or three days. We missed a lot of our children growing up. We were on the road or we were working on tight schedules. So we missed out on a lot of the athletics and programs and whatnot that they were missing, that they were participating in. So the point I'm trying to make is that this was a total family commitment. And in fact, we were very fortunate that we had the backing of the country, not only the Congress, but the public at large. And so when I talk about being a team effort, I would include the public involvement in this too. Sure. I mean, they were behind us. Uh, and they were counting on us to do this. Uh, during our career and still today, we have guests who say, what was the most important thing that you did? We never, ever thought in those terms. Anything you were working on involves so many other avenues and so many other people that everything was a team effort. And uh, we were more than co-workers. We were a family. Not only the workers here, but our families were for this was a very tight-knit community from a work standpoint, and that's what made this happen. Now we can look back on it and say, well, that wasn't such a bad job. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a blessed opportunity. Twenty twenty-three is the fiftieth anniversary of the launch of Skylab. The U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama is celebrating with the Summer of Skylab, a series of presentations, educational panels, and celebrity events taking place through November of 2023. Visit rocketcenter.com for more information. Fundamentally, <clears throat> The launch vehicle is made out of aluminum, but 
every variety of aluminum you can think of, I mean, every alloy, every single material that went into that vehicle was selected to give us the maximum uh, mechanical properties at the minimum weight. Weight was extremely important. Sitting on the launch pad, that vehicle weighed six and a half million pounds. And the vehicle that was holding all that together weighed about 596,000 pounds. So that turns out to be about 8%, the, the structure itself turns out to be about 8% of the mass of the vehicle. A hen's egg, the shell is 10% of the mass of the egg. Wow. So this is roughly equivalent to the structural integrity of an egg. Uh, the first stage that we made out of, out of an aluminum alloy that had excellent strength, it's easily welded, we'd been using it over and over, and it was perfectly acceptable for the fuels that we were using. We were using liquid oxygen and a high grade of kerosene called rocket propellant number one. But then when we went to the second and third stage, our propellants changed from uh, to liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen because that combination gives you the highest chemical engine performance, and that's what we wanted to use in space. Well, there aren't very materials, many materials that can stand uh, liquid hydrogen temperature because it has to be maintained 423 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. Wow. And there was an alloy on the market called 2014 that had the highest mechanical properties at that temperature, but it was unweldable. That's what the thought was. Well, we figured out how to weld it. <laughs> <laughs> when you get into the engines, you have almost 6,000 degree exhaust coming out one end and temperatures of minus 400 degrees coming in at the, at the front end. So you have these large temperature differentials. You had the vibration that was going on. The engines are just literally trying to tear themselves apart. We had to invent a lot of new materials there. Inconel is an iron-nickel-cobalt alloy. Rene 41 is also an iron-nickel-cobalt. Uh, Hastelloy X is a tungsten alloy. So we had to come up with materials that could stand these very severe environments uh, in the engines. Then you had to deal with other things like uh, the other extreme, when you're dealing with liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen that are cryogenic materials that have temperatures anywhere 300 to 400 degrees below zero, uh, <clears throat> you have to have materials that can stand the loads at those very, very low temperatures. Also, the liquid hydrogen has to be insulated in order to keep it from all boiling off and going away. So uh, the hydrogen tanks have to be insulated. So we had to create uh, thermal insulations. Sometimes we put it on the inside, sometimes we put it on the outside. But basically, uh, we developed polyisocyanurate foam materials uh, for that uh, application. Now, all of these materials I mentioned, if they were available at all, they were available for very limited usage in very limited quantities at that time. Uh, today, that thermal insulation we use on the hydrogen tank, uh, you can find it in your house at home. Really? The engine materials, uh, titanium and tungsten and so on, are being used routinely in the cars that you're driving and so on. And that is probably the most important point for people to understand. Putting people on the moon was not the value of the program. That was a political success. 
value of that program was all the technology that we had to develop to do it because all of that technology ended up in the commercial market and people are living today off the technology of the 1960s. Now, it's not just from the space program, but the things that we were doing were stimulating technological developments in many other fields. In the the very beginning of this program, we knew that there were so many decisions that had to be made that the human mind could not possibly keep up with it. So we knew we had to have a computer. There weren't any viable digital computers in 1961. There were not any solid-state electronics. So we had to develop the very first digital solid-state computer. And we were very, very proud of our little computer uh, because we had a whopping 115 kilobits of memory. (laughs) And that 115 kilobits of memory ran every single operation on that vehicle from about T minus 20, 30 seconds until we disposed of the third stage on the way to the moon. The other thing is that that computer in volume was two and a half cubic feet in size. It weighed 88 pounds. Now you carry in your pocket a little device that weighs probably four-tenths of a pound, has more capacity than we ever dreamed of as far as memory and computing and so on. But it all had to start at one place. And were it not for the lunar program, and Saturn V in particular, you would not have anywhere near the capability you have to. You would not have the electronics that you have today. You would not have many of the materials that you'd have today. You would not have many of the uh, operational uh, techniques and benefits that we have today. Your cars would be entirely different. Your homes would be entirely different. And all of that is it really comes out of a program like the Saturn V. Probably the most memorable moment in my experience on on this program was that for every, before every flight, we have a pre-flight readiness review. We call everybody together, we go through every nut and bolt, every test that was done, made sure we did everything and did it right. The second stage was the most problematical in the development vehicle. The first stage was pretty much technology that we had used before. The third stage was already in production, so we couldn't change it. So the second stage took all the beatings. Every time we needed to take an ounce out, it had to come out of the second stage. And the second stage drove a lot of the technology. And I was considerably interested. My my people and myself were quite involved in the second stage. So when I finished my presentation, Dr. Von Braun said, Lowell, I'd like you to pack your bags. You're going to the Cape with me. I want your assessment before we launch. So all of a sudden, I became on the launch crew. So on November 7th at 7 a.m. 1967, I was in the launch control room when liftoff took place. And I don't think that there was a dry eye in the control room. I equate it to sending our children off to school for the first time, and you poured your life into this thing, and it was either going to go or it wasn't. And that was a tribute to the thousands of people who had poured their lives into making this thing happen. And we went from a sheet of paper to a first flight in seven years, actually six years. Uh, and and that's, that's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, and so not only thousands of people who were supporting it in one, ways in one way or another, and that's not just working on it, but, but giving us the, the political support, giving us the public support, 
that was needed to pull this thing off. This was a tribute to mankind. And that, of course, stands out as, a, as the pivotal moment in, really in my career. Everything after that was building on that experience. And that's true for all of us. So Saturn V and the Apollo spacecraft that goes with it changed our whole technological and our whole cultural trajectory. And this was happening in the 60s. And the 60s were a difficult time. Yeah. We had a lot of strife going on. There was a lot of dissension going on. And frankly, the Saturn Apollo program pulled this country together. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for. I'm flying up to the stars. I'm gonna dare to explore this time and I'll let